0: Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 64 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bub and I will be taking a first stab at part one of our early season starting pitcher preview. Uh, so taking a look at the top 30 pitchers by ADP. Um, we had a lot of fun uh, with this one. Um, starting pitchers are always... Uh, interesting to uh, to analyze and to go into and, and strategically, um, very interesting as well. So hope you enjoy uh, the podcast a lot. Hope everybody had a nice holiday for those of you who celebrate um, Christmas. Hope you had a nice Christmas. Um, uh, we had a, we had a nice uh, and small one here uh, uh, in California, um, but always always nice to see uh, the kiddos getting really excited for the holidays. Hope everybody has a nice New Year uh, coming up. Uh, on Friday. Uh, if you're listening to this after that, uh, I hope you had a nice uh, new year. So looking forward to 2021. Hopefully, uh, it's a lot better than, uh, than 2020 has been so far. Uh, as usual, if you like the podcast, please do uh, go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Always appreciate that. Always nice to get um, feedback on folks um, enjoying the podcast. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. Bubba, you can reach on Twitter at BDNtrek. Uh, yeah, let's get this party started.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba on the Bat Flip, episode 64. We continue our 2021 early position previews, heading to the mound, starting pitching. We'll do uh, about the top 25 to 30 ADP, kind of like we did the outfield. Take a lot of listener questions, which you guys came through in a big way yet again, which we really appreciate, and uh, go from there. And we'll probably have uh, part two next week for you. But until then, you can find me on Twitter at bdintrick and my co-host as always on Twitter at batflipcrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? Uh,
0: we're doing pretty well, Bubba. Um, you know, just plugging along. Christmas was really nice last week. Um, a little bit different than usual, obviously. Um, you know, wasn't able to spend it with the extended family, but had our little family here. And that was nice. The kids are excited. They got they got the the their, their respective toys, a lot of Playmobiles. I don't know about you, or well, uh, I don't know about our, our viewers, but my I have like thumbs and injuries from trying to put together like Playmobiles in particular. Um, where it's just like you're like, come on, and they have these little things that actually like help you get the get the pieces together, but they actually like hurt just as much as like putting the pieces together. So I have some cuts and and things like that, but it was great. It was wonderful. Good. So how about you?
1: Yeah, good to hear. Um, yeah, just had a little small couple people, family, and um, watched uh, the little one for her first Christmas. Just kind of take it all in, event overload. Like I said, telling you earlier, between all, the two grandparents wanted to always hold her or um, you know, all the different toys that make noises, it was it was always something to keep her occupied while she was in between naps. Yeah. And uh, that was entertaining, to say the least. But uh, it was fun. It was definitely different, like you said, which kind of stunk at the same time. It worked out. Everything was good, but uh, hopefully this time next year we're not talking about the same thing. Let's just go yeah. that direction. <laughs> uh, like I really hope so. Let's hope, let's hope so. Yeah, vaccine yes, on the way. Yes, yeah, on the way. But uh, for now, we have the starting pitchers, and you guys, like I said, came through in a big way on questions yet again, which is awesome. So we'll spend the first hour or so going over the top twenty-five to thirty. Uh, at this ADP will be as of December first, and I made this list on Sunday, so it might have varied just a little bit by the time you listen. Uh, If there's a couple more drafts that have been completed, it's draft champions ADP as usual from December 1st start date. So usually the three to four week, sometimes less we do. It depends on what's going on, but it'll give us the gist of it. And we'll go from there. But uh, your top five, these are kind of, you know, these aren't going to change too much. They might change the order, but the top three, for sure, everyone talks about You have Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Bieber, Bauer, Darvish. Uh, Cole's going around five, deGrom around seven, Bieber around nine, uh Bauer around 15 and darvish round 18 so that'll give you a little heads up there so you got the three in the first round technically Bauer's first round as well how do you look at these guys uh toby like i said the, the big three cole Degrom, bieber is always a fun conversation and then you got bauer and darvish just kind of hanging on right behind them
0: yeah i mean i think the drafters so far have it right for me um i think cole is still number one Obviously, he started out a little slow with the Yankees, had some home run troubles, but he was dynamite down the down the stretch for them. And I just think the combination of kind of past performance, skills, context, um, and health, you know, he's he's he's, he's number one for me. Um, I think DeGrom, like if, if I knew all of the guys were healthy and that they were going to give 200 innings, you know, I think DeGrom would probably be number one. You look at some of the skills that he put up, um, uh, Ryan uh, Bloomfield uh, who started doing the bloom boards again which is, is fantastic you know but the big the, the biggest it's hard to believe but like the biggest jump in swinging strike percentage on a four-seam fastball or really I think well I don't know about any pitch but like forcing fastball was DeGrom going from like 15% to like 21.5% swinging strike rate on his four-seam fastball which is just Absolutely unheard of. Obviously, a small sample size, but the skills are just insane. The velocity was higher than it's ever been before. I mean, Degrom on a pitch per pitch basis, I think he's the best pitcher in the game. But I think there's a little bit more injury concern there for me than than there is for Cole. And I think Cole with the Yankees, I think you know, with the dominant offense, I think that they will be. Um, he'll be in a, in a really nice position to do well. So I just think he's kind of the safest, and he's got everything you need, Degrom the best, but there's a little bit of risk there. And then I think Bieber is probably the least risky from an injury perspective, just, you know, given how hard he throws and that he hasn't had an injury history in the past. Um, You know, part of the bump that he saw this year was good fortune, you know, really high strand rate, really low. um, Babbitt kind of like batted ball quality stuff that we hadn't really seen before. Part of that was an increase in velocity. I think he was up about a mile per hour year over year, which is always huge for us to see in starting pitchers. And then he developed the cutter, which gave him three pitches that are just, you know, phenomenal. And so I don't think you can go wrong drafting any of those three pitchers. If I get one of those three, I feel pretty good about how I've started. Um, not, uh, well, I guess it's kind of ridiculous to say, right? Like if I get one of the first three, then I feel pretty good about how my pitching foundation is starting. <laughs> of course you, did. you drafted an elite ace. Yeah, yeah, for me, Bauer's the guy that, that doesn't fit in here. You know, I know that people, you know, um, have a lot of different opinions of, of Bauer, you know, just from a skills perspective. I think he was incredibly lucky um, last year on a variety of different um, uh, respects. I mean, the Babbitt was a career low, um, as my fan graph page loads, 215, he had a 91% strand rate. So we know that that's definitely going to change. And one thing that I pointed out um, on a couple podcasts is, you know, the skills don't really support the strikeout rate or the walk rate. The strikeout rate was super inflated. Uh, The walk rate was very low. And um, there's a lot of different maybe reasons for that. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I've, I've, I've talked to this about before. Ryan Bloomfield, thank you for the shout out for my new hat. Shout out to everybody on Twitter who voted for this hat. I appreciate it. Um, uh, that for those of you listening to the podcast, that's in the in the comments over here. And then, um, but for Bauer, I've talked about this before, and I, I think it's I think it's legit. Some people may think that it's like getting too deep in the weeds, but when you look at how he did on full counts, he did his 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 career record in in full counts is. A 0.87 strikeout to walk rate. So essentially, for you know, for every walk that he has, he has 0.87 strikeouts. This year in the short sample, it was over three, right? So over whatever a thousand innings of Trevor Bauer's career in full counts, you know, he walked and struck guys out at a fairly even amount. This time he had three strikeouts for every walk. And that's just not sustainable. If you look at the league average, it's right around 0.8. Um, and so if you actually take out, if you if you actually even that out to what he was throughout his career, you end up getting a slightly elevated K rate, which is reflective of some of the increased skills that he had last year and a similar walk rate as well, because you assume that with the regression down in Ks, then you're going to get more walks as well. And so when you when you factor that in, you're looking at, I think like around a 20, 27, 28% strikeout rate instead of the uh, you know, whatever the ridiculous number you yeah, had, the 36%. And then the walk rate is pretty similar. And I just think it's a really important thing to do, you know, is just to kind of look at whether the skills support over small samples, you know, a, a dramatic increase in, in, in the skills, and they really don't. And I feel a little bit bad, you know, maybe I'll sound ridiculous like this. But like, I feel really bad for the team that signs him if they sign him to a long term deal, not because I think he's going to be bad over the course of that deal. But if they're if they're betting on, you know, not a repeat of last year, but but a really exceptional pitcher, I think he's good. I don't think he's great. Uh, Darvish for me is the is the number four. He really should be. The Padres, I think it's a fairly lateral move. I mean, Wrigley people know it as like a small field, but it really isn't at home or friendly or or run friendly um, from a park factors perspective. And and the Padres, you know, um, it's not it's not what Petco used to be in terms of like just a a huge pitcher's field so um I think it's a pretty neutral move obviously the offensive situation is much better and Caratini coming over I don't know if you've been following that on Twitter but that has been like the highlight of of potentially the year on Twitter just the back and forth between between uh Darvish and Caratini did you see him the DMs that he posted oh my god that was so funny and then did you see the the, the the tweet that he just had about, about
1: walking side by side? Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, God. My heart was like bursting.
1: They're like best uh, with, friends.
0: Oh, with love for those two. Yes. It's so nice to see, you know? It's like, um, it's beautiful to see things like that. But I just think, um, yeah, I think Darvish is really good. I mean, I was a little skeptical last year. I was out on him. And obviously, he performed in the short sample. Um, but I think when you dig into the numbers, I mean, the K minus walk rate is elite. The swinging strike rate is elite. The fastball velocity is there. I mean, I think it was like 96 he was averaging or something close to that. Like he's just got it all. And yes, health is obviously an issue. It is with so many pitchers. He's had a a year and a half of clean health. He didn't really have any issues that I can remember last year. Um, And so I think, you know, I think he's there. And I think. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him and Bauer, because I think he jumps over Bauer at this point with the trade. And um, my last comment, because I know I've been going on for a while here, is um, I think that when we get closer to March, at least in NFBC drafts, you're going to see the, the big three. You're going to see those three going in the top six picks. you know. And I think you're going to start seeing Darvish, and maybe it's Bauer, depending on where he lands, um, moving up into the middle of the round. You know and, and giolito and Bueller and those guys kind of moving to the back end of the round which is going to be a really interesting i mean it's really hard to build a really uh, you know i know one of our question people was like you i know you're the pocket aces guy but i don't know if i'm a pocket aces guy this year if i'm drafting in the front half um, because yeah because i don't i don't necessarily think that there's that much that distinguishes the guys that come after say luis castillo uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit from some of the guys that are going later. So I'll, I'll, I'll end my, my rant on the top five there and, and turn it over to you.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. The, the cold, the grand Bieber, that order, it makes sense to me. I, I like cold. The, the age difference is a big factor for me. Uh, we've seen it two years in a row. Now. It kind of starts out a little sluggish. Second half is huge. I know there's been some guys that tweeted out the, the, the splits that if, you know, what if we would have had another 60, 70 games or whatever, do we get that uh, massive, Cole second half like we got in 19, very possible. Like It's a good chance. And then this isn't even a conversation in the grand scheme of things. And it's a lot of what-ifs, which we have with almost all the positions and all the players going into the season. So it's kind of tricky. But uh, I was Team Cole last year. I'll be Team Cole again this year. I love DeGrom. I, I understand the injury concerns people are having, the age concerns. I'm still, if he's sitting there, I'm going to take him and I'm just going to stomach it. And whatever happens happens because he is an absolute beast. You look at his numbers time and time again. It's one of those that he hasn't had the serious injury at least anytime soon that scares me enough to to go to go running away. Uh, Bieber's Bieber. I, I, I've voiced my opinion on Bieber. I respect who Bieber is. I think he's a very good pitcher. Um, he deserves to be going here. He still, and I, I would draft him, but he still concerns me. I, I, he flirts with the, the edges so much. It's like if he's off at all, things can still get ugly. I know the velocity has gone up, which has helped a ton – that was the kind of the big concern before. If he misses on the velocity's low, he's going to get hit around a lot. So, that increased velocity, which we've we've people have talked about a mile per hour or two is all it takes, and that's a you know, gigantic difference. It's just if he what if there's a little bump and things change? Uh, the offense behind is gonna be horrible this year in, in Cleveland. So, you might get to ground 2.0, where he might have like a two five ERA or better and get you three wins or something. Like, it could be dreadful with, with Bieber in Cleveland. So, that's just another thing to keep in mind there. And then I, I have Darvish four as well. Uh, speaking of Bauer, it is interesting. I know Dave Petrizello mentioned it in the chat here, and I was checking it out beforehand. There's a rumor going around that teams are, are Bauer's looking for five to six years, about thirty five to thirty six mil a year right now, which kind of ironic when he preached all he ever wants for one year deals. So that's gonna be interesting. Um, his agents out there on Twitter doing a uh, you know things that Bauer and company do. So the regimes out there, you know, making their noise, which is always kind of entertaining and kind of like, okay, just do it now. It was fun early. Now it's just like, I've had enough, just do it. But um, yeah, Bauer's good. Like we you just look at his logs, like he talked about, it's like it's all or nothing with him. He's had good years. He's had mediocre years. It's a roller coaster ride with Trevor Bauer. And Michael Leggetto said it uh, from Pitcher List. Yeah, he's great. But if they ever crack down on sticky fingers, how good is he? So <laughs> that'll be interesting to check out with Bauer as well. It's just a tough, tough ask to, to bid on someone or purchase someone at that draft price. And I love Darvish. You mentioned some things there. I I got done. It should be out on Wednesday morning, I think, at Roto and I wrote kind of the fantasy impact of him coming over to uh, San Diego, and it stood out to me, like you said, people understand the park factors. They assume Wrigley and Petco um, last year in 2020. Wrigley was the best pitchers' ballpark in all of baseball, the fewest runs allowed in all of baseball, and Petco was tenth best for pitchers. So it's not a huge gap, but it was a gap. but like Petco is almost more neutral, but Wrigley was like if you do it like one's an average on the scale it was like 0.77 so it was down there pretty good and then in 2019 Petco was third best Wrigley was sixth best so it's always been a pretty people just think of day games with the wind blowing out like here we go but there's so many other wind blowing in games the night games like it's actually a pit, pretty pitcher friendly ballpark like you mentioned I don't think a lot of people think of that so that that kind of stood out as a okay this is kind of neutral shift here um except you know the biggest difference for me is central division we talked about Pretty cake to pitch in. Going to the West, outside of the Dodgers and Coors games, probably not that bad either in the grand scheme of things. So I think he's going to be fine. The Caratini part's huge. Um, in 2019, when Darvish made his switch, Caratini kind of became his regular guy from then on out, and he saw the cutter get used a lot more, the forcing fastball get used a lot less, slider get used more. So he did a whole pitch mix change, and it carries over. You look at all the graphs and everything. it's It kind of is just in line with the progression of how great he's been. So – I got no problem with Darvish. People are going to point to he's 35 years old or he's going to be turning 35 years old. He's had injury histories, but to me, he had two TJs in 2015, 2016. He really hasn't had a major injury since then. He's been pretty darn good since then. So I'll just be like, okay, you know what? He's figured it out. Let's go. So I'm with you there. It's Cole, DeGrom, Bieber. I got Darvish for Bauer five. I, I just don't see myself t- drafting Bauer anywhere. I, I really don't. I don't think I'm going to take that gamble. Darvish, I will. I have had the conversation with people though. It's hard when you see Darvish at the end of round one, and yes, he's an like an elite type pitcher. But it's, do I go get a bat like a J Ram or a shortstop or one of these guys, and then go and get like a Lucas Giolito in the next round, like things like that? A younger arm that we see that keeps getting better. That's more the discussion than does Darvish deserve to be where he's at. To me, it's do these guys like you kind of mentioned. We'll talk about it here in just a second. Like Walker Buehler's. The Giolito's, the Nolas, those guys that are coming up. Do you take maybe that younger arm that's been more established and really hasn't had any issues at all? If you do believe in the injury concerns, instead of you Darvish. So that's the fun part, which will be interesting to discuss.
0: Yeah, what a what a it'll be an interesting playoff narrative too with like Darvish and the Padres. Mm-hmm. You know, after what the Dodgers did, you know, just oh, they yeah. were able to play each other like. That'll be that'll be a pretty cool narrative. I'm, I'm re- in case you're wondering, I'm rooting for you, Darvish and the Padres. I should have worn my Padres hat. I wanted to wear my new hat. I mean, yeah, well, we're talking about
1: a few and... Padres pitchers today. I think we're talk about like four of them today. They're oh, in the top. Yeah, that's how good yeah. the rotation is. <laughs> it's crazy. They have that many top in uh, at least fantasy wise pitchers. Um, and and one other thing on that narrative, Dan Richardson from, from Pitcher List, he tweeted out a funny one because Snell got inter- got introduced on Tuesday via Zoom as a Padre. And he had some kind of – the way you perceive Snell probably jabs. Let's go throw it out there. He mentioned he's looking forward to pitching for the Padres. He's looking forward to a coaching staff that lets his pitchers pitch deep into games. He's looking forward to being able to pitch past the 16 and prove to people he can pitch. He said that a few times. And so Dan Richards said a funny one. Oh, you can see it now. Padres – Dodgers game seven NLCS. They let they let Snell go into the seventh and he blows the game, and Dodgers go to the World Series. It's just okay. like it's karma to like the T of what's gonna happen. So uh, we'll see. But it was, it was it was Snell doing the snark that I we know Snell to be, which is I kind of respect at times too. Yeah, for sure. All right, six through 10 on the list. You got Bueller at pick 18 and a half, Gialito at 20, Nolan at 23, Scherzer, who just keeps falling down to about 27, 28, and then Luis Castillo at 28. Um, where do you go with the uh, pick six through 10?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting group. There's two that kind of stand out. Well, maybe two and a half that really stand out for me. Bueller is tough for me to take. You know, um, I think Bueller's great. He's really good. The situation is terrific as well. He's always been a slow starter, you know, and I just wonder we may get an, a, a not, you know, a 60 game season, but we may be looking at a shorter season than, you know the the usual length if they push it out to um you know a May start something like that but he's always been a slow starter the skills aren't overwhelming he's obviously very good you know limiting hard contact with the with the fastball he's in a great situation with the Dodgers so he's really really good i just worry a little bit about the volume and maybe the strikeouts that he's providing compared to at least some of the guys that are going in a similar ADP range um to him like Giolito i love Giolito um, I'd have no problem taking Giolito in the back half of the first round. You know, let's say those first four for me. I mean, I, I have Bauer way behind, you know, even the guys that we're talking about here. But if you have, um, you know, if you have, you know, if, if the first four go, I have no problem taking Giolito. I mean, if you look at the skills for Giolito, just absolutely off the charts, his in zone contact, he's dominant in the zone. He's got two dominant pitches in the sli- Well, three dominant pitches in the slider the change up and the fastball, Um, you know, the walks are a little bit of a concern, but I mean, if a guy has strikeout stuff, I mean, he has strikeout stuff, elite swinging strike rates, dominated in the zone, as I mentioned before, he's been able to uh, increase that O swing a little bit, you know, get those chases outside the zone. I think that's the one thing that he's kind of missing right now um, from being maybe even the top starter in the game is, is, is a little bit of that uh, control you know, not walking as many guys, having having, having some blowups. But after the slow start he had, he was absolutely cruising um, before. And the context is good. I mean, the AL Central, some some improvement with the Royals, obviously, with the Tigers, you know, can't be as bad as last year. Um, but, they, but the Cleveland is going to get worse. And even the Twins, I mean, they've lost two um, important pieces there. So I um, – yeah, and Eddie Rosario and Nelson Cruz. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he ends up going somewhere else um, next year. So, you know, I, I just think that he's he's really really good, um, really really good. And all he needs is a full season to show that. And you're talking about a guy who I would you know if he strikes out or on is on pace to strike out 300. You know, he would be a guy I could see doing achieving something like that. Um, next guy that I really like Aaron Nola, I don't have any shares yet of him. Um, uh, I haven't been able to draft him yet in my, in my, uh, I got an elite in my last draft champions. I, I, I had a, um, Bieber Giolito start, which was kind of like a dream come true for me. Um, but I really want to have some Nola as well. Obviously the pitch mix change, you know, he throws his fastball. I think it's like the third most frequent pitch that he throws after his, um, change up in his curveball, which are both really good pitches, high ground ball rate. He's been consistently good outside of that first half of last year. You know he's been very good. Um, Phillies are a pretty good context for him to be in. You know they've they've added some more analytical guys to the staff, so who knows they may be able to take him even to the next level. So maybe a little bit lower on the on on the k rates, but the walk rates have always been pretty good for him. Um, and so I think, I think I I really like Nola a lot as well. Um, if I were to, um, you know, looking at these guys, I'd probably go, you know, uh, for the six through 10, I'd go Giolito, Nola, Bueller, and then probably, um, Castillo would be after that for me. You know, I was concerned about the control for Castillo, but you know, he's, he's been consistently good so far. Um, He's been really good. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Reds? Who knows if he's going to be traded or not? But the swinging strike rate is great. I always worry a little bit about the changeup. He's so reliant on that changeup. He's so reliant on pit on swings and misses outside the zone. And and you can kind of belabor that point like I have in the past. But in the grand scheme of things, right? Like Patrick Corbin was really good with with the slider being really good. And I want to say Castillo also was more dominant this year with his forcing fastball, um, which I really like to see. That I think the swinging strike rate on that pitch jumped up. Um, uh, I want to say about two uh, percent. Um, I think it was around eleven percent. This is another test of my memory, which uh, you know my memory is my memory is uh, mediocre. Um, but uh, let's see, let's see what we got. Am I right? Oh, no, a bigger jump than that. So his his four-seam had a 15.8% swinging strike rate on it, which is ridiculous. Now, obviously, I think there's some uh, fallback on that, but when you have the dominant changeup at 23% swinging strike rate, you have two pitches above 15% in the four-seam and the slider. Um, I just really like it, and I do think there's upside if he goes to that four-seam more, um, and the velocity's there. So everything for Castillo looks pretty good. Scherzer's the one that I'm kind of – withholding judgment on I really want to see what he's doing in spring training you know the skills were still there I mean there was definitely some give in the skills but they were still really really good I think the biggest concern for me was the drop in in chase rate I think it was clear when you were watched him that he wasn't able to finish guys off outside the zone like he's been able to in the past and that was a that was a little bit of a concern for me um, but if he comes back, if he looks good in spring, if the velo's there, if everything else is there, then I'll probably be willing to take him kind of where he's going right now. Um, just because he did have some, what looks like batted ball luck, some bad batted ball luck, um, you know, that, that brought him down a little bit, but he's still got, you know, great pitch mix, great repertoire. The velo was about where it's been in the past. So no reason to believe that he can't be a really good pitcher again. One year older, but, again, a full offseason um, to get uh, to get in pitching shape. So that's kind of how, what, how I would stack up the, those guys six through ten.
1: Yeah. No, I, I like – we're pretty much on the same page there as well. Bueller, I'm still very, very torn on. I love uh, – like going into last season, I predicted him to be the Cy Young winner. Didn't predict a blister, that's for sure. Um, and that that's the biggest thing is, for me, he missed time due to a blister more than anything. So you'd imagine – the arm's fine. You imagine he's fine. They even said last year, going into this season, he was doing pitching ramped up on the side. You imagine going to do that this year. Before um, before last season, he was at 182 pitches. Uh, he's one of those guys, like we talked about it before, and Oda Rizzi talked to, you know, Saris and the guys over at, um, over at Rates and Barrels. They talked about how a lot of these veterans, they can take time off and then ramp back up. It's not like the younger guys. Bueller, sure, he's still younger, but to me, He's proven he can go to a certain level. That means to me at least he can go like 170 plus. Like he can get back up there uh, assuming things work out right. The Dodgers are different, but the one caveat I will say with the Dodgers right now, when you look at uh, their projected starting rotation right now, you have David Price who's still up in the air. Is he coming back? You have Dustin May who hasn't really proved he can be a starting pitcher that's consistently good. He's better out of the bullpen because he doesn't strike anybody out. You have Julio Urias who's not good. He, he doesn't strike anybody out. Like it's, it's mind-boggling watching Dustin May. Uh, you got Julio Urias, who was phenomenal longer stints out of the bullpen or after openers. He's probably a much better starter than Dustin May. But my point is, and he got Tony Gonsolin as well. So there's six pitchers there. Price is a question. May, Gonsolin, Urias. We'll see. But Bueller and Kershaw are the staples of that rotation. So as long as his arm's healthy and he's not getting blisters, he's pitching. That's the way I see it with Bueller. So I'm not as concerned as others are. I, I understand the concern, but I'm not there with, with Bueller. I think they know what they have in him and they need him because Kershaw's also in a full season. We've talked about it before. It's, you're not getting what we love to see last year. Kershaw's going to take steps back and miss some starts or innings or whatever. They need Bueller to be that guy. That, that If you look at the whole rotation there, there's where I plant my flag with Bueller. When I think, okay, yes, I, I'd rather have Bueller than Bauer. That's for sure. I'll go that far. So that I'll go there. But then I agree with what you said, though. I'd rather have Gialito over over Bueller. Huge Gialito fan. The gains he made last season, the strikeout rates, the, the the better contacts. You mentioned the zone rates. Everything about him has gotten better and better and better. I think if you're looking at this conversation next offseason, I would not be shocked at all if Gialito's. In the big three conversation or something along those, like he, like you said, it he has the makeup and the development curve, I guess you could say, to take that step to the to the next level of this guy's an A, like a legit fantasy ace type player. So I I like G Leo a ton. That's where I kind of prefer, and I think you feel similarly, like you want the front end so you go get your cole or whatever. But if if I can't get one of the top picks, I got no problem in the back end of the first round get a big bat or get a G-Lito or something like that and wrap it around. So I, I really – I found myself getting g a few times when i am drafting him in the back end, so I, I like that quite a bit. Nolan's a guy I, I have nothing bad to say about him. I just – I always feel uneasy with Nolan. Then I look at his fangraphs page, his savant page, and he's consistently just putting up this awesome stat line by the end of the season. Like he's not jumping off the page. He's not flashy. or not like turning tuning into MLB tonight and Nolan had, you know, a one-hit shutout or like what other – all these guys – he's not – Garrett Cole striking out 14 and seven innings. You don't see that with Nola consistently. But you look at his overall stat line, it's great. He's perfect for fantasy. It's what you want in an ace. So I got no problems with him. Scherzer, I am i can't do it. He just reminds me too much of Verlander and company. I, I just can't do it. Like you mentioned, the velocity is going to be there. He's going to be great. I won't go that direction. And then Castillo, I absolutely love. Um, while you were talking, I was looking more at the pitch leader board and uh, Savant and everything. He's even starting to incorporate his slider even more. And his slider is just legit nasty. It's actually got the best, uh, like, swinging strike rates and put out rates and all that. Well, not the swinging strike, but like put away rates and uh, all those things that you look at that are kind of secondary stuff initially, but kind of justify how effective that pitch is. It's just a matter of trusting him more and using him more because he still uses that changeup a ton, like you mentioned. He uses his four seam, a sinker that's kind of nasty. If you can keep elevating that slider up there, at least above the sinker. Mix that in there as a good number three pitch. He he could take another step. And uh, I like Castillo quite a bit. He's a guy I'm looking at at the back end of round twos. If I didn't get a pitcher early or if I'm trying to potentially get a pocket aces, I guess, he could be a good number two there. It does kind of get a little murky after this, like you talked about, which we'll we'll get to in a second here. But I like Castillo a lot. Like For me, I'd have Lito top in this group for me. And then Castillo and Bueller is an interesting 2-3 for me. I'm a big Castillo guy. I'm not... Michael Simeone, Castillo guy. He like has him like top four or something. But I have them, I think I ranked them sixth or seventh for me. I, I like Castillo a lot. And then I'd go Nolan Scherzer to wrap up this range. But doesn't Michael a- have
0: Glass now really high up there too? Like top two, I think, right? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Oh, he hates glass now.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I hate glass now too. I, I literally just <laughs> wrote I wrote him up today for a, a piece coming out of Draft of Voids. So yeah, we will talk about him in a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's how I look at pick 6 through 10. Um, let's get into 11 through 15 now, and you got Jack Flaherty coming up at pick 31. You have Clayton Kershaw at just right behind, like, 31 and a half. You have Brandon Woodruff at 34, 35. You have Zach Gallen at 39. And then on this sheet, we're gonna, so it has changed a little bit, we have Tyler Glass now coming up at pick 46. So um, 11 through 15, it gets pretty murky compared to the top 8 to 10 or so. So where do you stand here?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting group. I mean, questions for a variety of different reasons. Obviously, with Flaherty, I mean, I think with Flaherty, I was a little bit off him last year. I, I got I lucked out there. You know, the babbitt was so low um, the season before, and um, yeah, the two forty two babbitt, the eighty three point three percent strand rate. You know, so those luck, luck metrics were a little bit off the charts for him. So I think some regression was uh, was coming. Um, but I also think you kind of chalk up 2020 to just, what a, what a bizarre season for him. I mean, he, you know, they all get COVID and for some reason he comes back and he throws, you know, he throws a shorter start, but they just, there just just didn't seem to be a plan there, or at least a plan that was, that was uh, executed effectively. So I think you kind of throw it to the side. I mean, even when you look at some of the underlying metrics, right. He actually had a higher swing strike rate, um, this past year than previous years. Um, it was the highest he'd had his whip was still good despite like those major blowups, despite having a high uh, walk rate as well. You know, I think that is one, a little bit of a concern for, for Flaherty is the walk rate, um, outside of 2019, it's been over 9.4%, um, in each of his other seasons, eight and a half percent for his full career, which is higher than league average for, um, you know for a starter, so there's some concerns there, but he plays uh in front of a really good defense, uh, in a really good ballpark. And the NL Central is going to be god awful. Not that he's only going to be pitching against the NL Central, but I mean, I don't know if you was uh, I forget who put the tweet out, but like the combined war of the different divisions and the NL Central is just That's way, great. way, way uh behind, and nobody's really making any moves, but, making themselves works right now. Wait. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're crazy. really just given in, um, in a very winnable division. So Flaherty's, but he's still interesting to me. I mean, I think if he falls a little bit, I think if he falls into the third round, I think he's a really interesting go because I think, I think he's a really good pitcher. Um, I think he's really good. Um, and despite like what happened to him last, uh, last season, um, with Kershaw, Kershaw's interesting to me. I mean, Kershaw, I think you need to have a plan when you, if you take Kershaw, you need to figure out how are you going to make up with the strikeouts because the ratios are gold. But when you look at Kershaw, I mean, last year, he struck out, I think, like 62 in 58 innings, you know, which from your number one starter, if that if he's your number one starter in fantasy, like just isn't, it's not going to cut it, right? So maybe if you pair him with a Lance Lynn later on or something like that, you think about how that rotation fits together. um, I think that's how you have to think about Kershaw, but I'd be very hesitant to have him as my SP1 just for that reason. Would you Uh, be good
1: with him being your SP two like as a pocket aces theory.
0: I think so, and I but I still want to think about you know because part of the part of the part of the pocket aces thing is right. Like I mean, let's say just like um, you get like a Darvish or Giolito or a Darvish something like that. You know that you're talking about you know four hundred plus strikeouts, right? Yeah. Um, and so and so it, it really it gives you it some you. Yeah. some leeway there um, with your later picks. So I think if you think about Kershaw you're like, okay, I'm going to take him either as my number one or my number two. And then, yeah, you look at like a guy, like a Lynn, or, you know, maybe it's like um, just putting in, just thinking thoughtfully about, like, I know that I need, I, I feel pretty good about the ratios. I need to make sure that the K's are going to be there. And again, with the Dodgers, you know, I think you highlighted this a little bit, but I'm also a little bit wondering, like, how are they going to handle it now that they have have the ring? How do they handle this? Does that change? kind of the way that they handle pitchers or Kershaw's desire, like not his desire to go out every fifth fifth day because everybody, you know, desires to do that, but like the conviction to really do that because with him, I mean, I think that could be a really big issue. Um, one thing to note too about Kershaw is he had a VLO bump early on in the season, but it fell off. It fell off towards the end of the season. And if you look at like his last, I think it's like five or six starts, strikeout rate was barely above league average. Walk out walk rate was low. So the K minus right walk rate was still really, really good. But if he doesn't have that below that he had early on in the season, it could be a little bit of a mirage that, um, you know, the, that strikeout percentage right now, um, even though it wasn't that good to begin with. So I have some concerns there. Um, the guy that I like the most out of this group uh, by a pretty wide margin is, um, is Woodruff. And, you know, I was I was not into Woodruff. He was like a total bust for me last year. I felt like the peripherals weren't there, but when you get down to it, I mean, he's putting up the K rate consistently. Um, He's very good. He's got the fastball. Um, He's got the other pitches that are good enough and he doesn't walk guys. He just does not throw balls. He does not throw balls. And I love that a guy who can strike guys out. You have no concerns whatsoever about walks and you know, I just think that, um, I think he's really good. And I think that, I think you're starting to see that in drafts. I mean, he's pushing up and he's going to be a, he's going to be a mid second rounder by the time, um, everything it's all said and done, I think, but I really like him. I really like Woodruff a lot. Um, out of this group, he's my, he's the guy that I like the most, uh, gallon. I think gallon is solid. Um, I mean, I like, I feel like if when I think about the definition of solid, it's just like, I feel comfortable with him, you know, like, three, five, three, three, five, ERA, whatever it's going to be like a lower whip, you know, like one, one to one, two, you know, um, 10 K's per nine. Like it all just feels like it's there, but I don't necessarily know if there's as much upside, um, parts partially because I don't, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't necessarily see the upside. Maybe it's like the fastball, um, just isn't there, just isn't good enough, um, And it's also, I think the context, I think the D backs aren't going to be very good. They're clearly selling. Um, And so I'm a little bit nervous about what that looks like from his perspective. And then finally with glass now, I'm not really interested in Glass now. Um, You know, I think the volume is a major question. The two pitch approach is a major question. Um, And he hasn't answered those questions for me. And until I see that happen on a consistent basis, I just really can't, I, I really can't go there. Even though like on a per start basis, I mean, he's got, we all know how electric this stuff is, but it's kind of like last year. I mean, what did he, what is, what did his ERA end up as? I mean, obviously um, it's a shortened season, but. Um, yeah, I was Just looking at it, it's like, I got it right here.
1: Um, 408. 408. Yeah, but X tip 275, no, I'm just kidding.
0: So but, yeah. it's just, yeah, it worries me that high walk, the high walk rate, Obviously, again, the strikeout stuff, the K's per nine—they're all beautiful. I mean, even the whip um, is really good too. So maybe I'm just maybe you're, I'm just you're, not there you're yet. On the right I should be, but uh, you're fine. But I just I can't I can't buy in there, especially you know um, where he's going. He just keeps on moving up and up, and I just can't I can't get there. Seems like a seems like a really nice dude, but. I just a great can't, dude. I can't, I can't get in support. Did you see him dunking? Yeah. Those are the off-season workout videos that I live for. You know, not the not here's Miggy jumping rope. You know, it's like yeah. Glass now slamming it down. Like that's yeah. that's what I'm
1: talking about. Glass now slamming it down, Bartolo Colon dancing some salsa. That's the kind of stuff I'm here for. Give, give me all that. Um, yeah, Jack Flaherty. This is a guy that I was with you. I was not on, on last year. I said he was getting drafted too high. I'm not gonna take a victory lap on that because I can't claim COVID was gonna happen and destroy his whole team. Like that wasn't that wasn't my thought process, but the walk rate is very concerning, as you mentioned. Um he just I don't know. He's gonna have some runs like they're very, very good. This is why it gets to the part where you get to like a steal and then do you really trust these guys, or would you rather, you know, the next ten guys where you have, you know, Maedas and Linz and Sunny Grays and Carrasco's? You can wait around and maybe get one of those guys instead. That's probably where I'm going to go. I'm going to take a bat instead of a Jack Flaherty, which a lot of people disagree with, but that's kind of where I'm at, at that progression of things. So, yeah, I'm not in on Flaherty this year. Kershaw I have always liked. He was going later than this last year, for crying out loud. Like, he has a big shortened season, and now everyone's in on Kershaw again. Um, We knew when we talked about Kershaw before that pandemic hit in our first starting pitching preview, we were all like, okay, 150 awesome innings. That's probably what you're going to get this year, too. 150 to 160 awesome innings, which is great, and I'm all for it. But like you said, you better have a plan. It's kind of like I there's a big Adalberto Montesi talk today. We talked about him uh, on our pod. You have these guys, or let's say other injury-type players. You have to have a plan in place. What's the replacement when they're out? Kershaw's going to miss some time here or there, even if it's a fake IL stint by the Dodgers do you have something that's going to fill in for this? Do you have other situations, just not enough fill in, like you said, like do you have a guy that's going to get you extra strikeouts or get the counting stats to fill for Kershaw? So I, that's a great point you make because I'm not going to be the guy that says don't draft Kershaw because I do think in a year where we're coming off 2020 and not all pitchers are stretched out the way we want them to be, like I do believe some of the big dogs are going to just – they're going to throw like normal. There are going to be a lot of arms that they're going to take, not just the Dodgers, but in general – teams are going to take precautions with. There's no hiding that. It's going to happen. So Kershaw seems like a great candidate at his age with his back problems, just got the the ring like you said, so he pitched even more in the playoffs. Might be a good idea to kind of let him save it up because at the same time, they could easily make another run next year and they want him in the World Series. If you waste all the bullets during the regular season, it's going to really stink to lose again in October. So it's it's one of those deals that – You wouldn't be shocked at any time if Kershaw misses by the end of the season, a total of like a month of action. And that's very realistic. So not saying don't draft him because he is very good, but keep that in mind. I love Woodruff. Uh, You mentioned it. I was on actually Michael Simeon's podcast a month ago or whatever, and we were talking about different ADP pitchers. This range came up. We both like Woodruff in this range. And we we joked that if Corbin Burns didn't have the year he had, people would still be raving about uh, Brandon Woodruff. Like they've almost forgot how good he was. It's good to see NFBC drafters have not forgot how good he was because he's still a top fifteen pitcher. But he's as consistent as they come. Pretty much six or more innings every start was like two run runs or less, and like eighty to 80, 80 to eighty five percent of his starts, six plus Ks in most starts. Like the dude is a fantasy goldmine. You literally just plug him in, walk away. He's that's the beauty of a pitcher. If you don't have to worry about the matchups, just pitch him and go. Woodruff was that guy. So I love Woodruff. I'm 100% back in everything you to say. I, I love everything about him. Go get him. Zach Gallon was great last year. Struggled like the last three and a half starts or so. Um, I liked him. when He was a lot cheaper last year. I'll be honest. Because he still walks a lot of guys. The strikeout stuff can vary from time to time. He he, he did show some flaws. And you mentioned the Diamondbacks are going to be an issue. So uh, if he falls a little more, if like he falls into the, like round four or five-ish, which I don't think it'll happen. But if he does... Much more appealing to me was Zach Allen. Uh, and then Tyler Glass. Now I'll have zero Tyler Glass. Now I, I pulled up some stuff here uh, as well forcing, curveball, change up. Those are his pitches. Um, it's mainly curveball forcing. That's pretty much what he's, he's going with here. And it's um, a whole lot of uh oh. Because if it's not effective in the zone, it's getting hit very hard. The forcing fastball had almost 48% of our hit rate last year, uh, which was dreadful. Uh, it's just, it, it's really, really brutal when it comes down to what he does. And the biggest problem with him is he doesn't get through the counts quickly. Strikeouts are great. He's got a great strikeout rate, but um, he's not striking guys out fast enough because he's walking too many guys or working too deep in counts. The Rays are babying him. You look at his his, uh, stats. I think he went over five innings, like four of his 12 starts. And he only went over like 75 pitches three times. They were yanking him early. And, he people are saying because Snell's gone, he's the ace, he's gonna go longer, maybe. What's longer? Another inning. Is that really gonna do it for you? Because so now he's going five to six innings in every start. Is that your ace? No, it's not. So that's the problem. He's got great stuff. He needs to execute a third pitch better. He needs to be more efficient while he pitches. Those are two things that are gonna be very, very important with Glass now. Until he does that, I will not be drafting him anywhere. So that's my take on Tyler Glass now. 16 through 20, Kent Kenta Maeda has actually jumped Glass now. Glass now is 46.27. Maeda is 46.13, but we have him at 16. Um, pick seven or Pitcher 17, Blake Snell at pick 52. You have Corbin Burns at 54, Zach Plesak at 58, and Max Freed at 59. So this is a group that you might pass over most of them as well, but uh, what do you like here?
0: Yeah, I mean, this generally is a Passover group for me. Um, not that I don't necessarily like them, but just with my general approach to pitching. Uh, so with uh, Maeda, I think Maeda is really good. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The pitch mix change. He's got multiple elite offerings. You love to see that. I just have questions about the volume that we're going to get. Um, he was also incredibly lucky with both the, the BABIP and, and the um, strand rates. Um, being uh, way out of whack, I think, from where they probably should have been, um, and so I worry a little bit about. Um, I really worry a little bit about that regression, and then I just worry about the volume, especially where you're you're drafting them in drafts, right? Um, to be your, you know, for some people, it's it's their SP one, but you know, SP two range, and and I just don't know if if I if I trust it enough. Um, uh, but you know, I, again. And, I like him. He's really good. He's a really good pitcher. I just think from what I expect to get from him this year, I wouldn't want to draft him where he's going um, right now. Um, for Snell, again, he's he's. I know a lot of people. I, I think his ADP is going to rise now that he's with the Padres because people are going to expect him to go a little bit deeper in games, um, and that could be the case. You know, the thing with Snell is when he went when he had his most dominant season, there was obviously some luck involved, but he also had his, his Uh, highest fastball velocity. Uh, I want to say he was at like uh, 96.5 miles per hour back in 2018. And progressively that fastball below has declined. And as a result, the outcomes on that fastball have declined as well. And I think it helps, you know, maybe the other pitches are dominant. Like he's got an incredible arsenal, but maybe it it allows guys to hang in a little bit longer. Um, uh, with him. And I think efficiency is a huge issue. It's not really that the Rays pulled him so early. It's that, you know, he's not efficient with his pitches. He goes deep into, deep into counts. He walks a lot of guys. And so I think, I don't necessarily know if that's going to change or not. So very good pitcher, uh, you know, and then there's also the the volume question, right? I mean, he has what, 157 innings over the, over the last two seasons. Injuries have been a major factor throughout his career. And so, you know, do I want to, do I want to mess with that in this spot, maybe, maybe at the current price, but I think, you know, where he's going to go, I expect him to start going in the third round, ra- third round pretty regularly. I have, i got him in one draft where he went like, I think 54, or 56, and I felt pretty good. He was my SP3 at that point. Um, so I felt pretty good about that one. Um, uh, Burns, uh, Burns is a, a major volume question for me. Um, you know, and again, like, I don't want to sound like a broken record in terms of like highlighting the regression candidates, because that's why these guys are high up there. But I think recency bias is important to, um, be aware of and just be cognizant of like for Burns, you know, a guy who got hit around pretty hard throughout his career, obviously a pitch mix change for him, but like that doesn't result in a 0.3 home runs per nine. Right. Um, his walk rate is a little bit concerning well over 10%. And then there's the question of volume. I know. Um, I know. Our, I don't. I don't think Smod is listening. Uh, or he, maybe he's listening, but he's, I don't think he's in the chat right now. But um, I know Smod is a huge fan of his. I think the skills are there. Everything there for him to be very good. He's also in the NL Central. I just worry about that regression coming, and I do worry: is he going to be able to go more than say 140 innings, um, something like that, um, in, in a two in a in a regular uh, full season? And that's enough questions. Like the walk rate regression. I'm just, I just have too many concerns still. Uh, Plesak is really interesting. Um, you know, a Dave McDonald favorite. Um, I think there's a lot to love about Zach Plesak's profile. What I find interesting is he actually lost about a mile per hour on his fastball, um, but was still more effective, um, you know, because of pitch mix changes, I think. And, um, and so, you know, I think he's really good. I mean, he gets a lot of strikes. The swings, the swing strike rate was really nice over 14%. Walk rate is really nice. Uh, he, he was one of the lower guys in terms of the percent of pitches that were balls, which is the, I think the go-to metric for me for thinking about um, where a guy's walk rate should be. And for those of you who have the forecaster that actually has those in the player boxes and they did a really good analysis in last year's forecaster in the 2019 forecaster that looked at kind of the correlation between percent of balls uh, and other control metrics that we oftentimes look at. So I would highly recommend that people look at percent of pitches that is balls. And if you have any questions about how to do that, just hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to share what the searches um, to figure that out on, on, on Savant. Um, but I mean, the thing for Plesak again, like so many of these guys were up there, right? You know, 224 Babbitt, 92% strand rate. You know, it's just like, it's just one of those things where, I think what's so hard about this short season and what's just so hard about career seasons in general is you look at them and you look at the skills and you're like, Oh, but the skills support this. The skills look okay still. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean that regression doesn't still come. Right. Um, and so that's my major concern with police sack and where he's getting pushed up in drafts. I just haven't felt comfortable snagging him at that point in time. Uh, Max Fried is, a, is a, um, not to be confused with Max Freeze is a total fade for me. Um, I think that Freed, he just doesn't offer you the K outside that you need. He's very reliant on managing contact, which is fine because I think he's, he's shown throughout his career that he can be pretty good at that, but elevated walk rate, lower strikeout rate, doesn't really have the same type of dominant repertoire as the other guys who are going in and around him. Um, so he's a total fade for me. I mean, just draft like Ryan Yarborough at, you know, whatever pick, to 40, you know, who's not going to be quite as good, but I think will actually be fairly decently similar or Kyle Hendricks, like a bunch of picks, picks later. Um, maybe you're going to get a little bit more case with Max Breed, but I just don't think he's, I don't think he's elite starting pitching material. So I would not draft him uh, anywhere close
1: to where he's going, going right now. All right. Um you mentioned Maeda. The thing with Maeda for me, kind of you're mentioning, is I want to know exactly what the workload the Twins are going to give him because it was like almost six innings and out, sometimes seven. They didn't let him go too deep in the games. pitch count would be like 90 to 100. They wouldn't push him. Six innings, every start's great, but if he's having any issues, then, well, there goes that. So that that that's my question. There. He was like super efficient last year, not walking guys. Everything was like the perfect storm for Kinta Maeda last year, and I'm wondering how – how, how much how much is a replication of that possible and i guess it's pretty not not very much but uh like you look at uh, steamer for instance they have him um projected to go with a 443 era instead of a 270 so with fewer k's and more walks which it makes sense if he's walking more guys probably in more trouble hence the uh, the blow up potential there with um Kenta Maeda. so that's definitely something. I'd be concerned about with him, Blake Snell. I just I won't draft Blake Snell pretty much anywhere. That's one of my biggest uh, issues with um, Blake Snell is between not knowing exactly what the Padres are going to do with him. You, I think you tweeted out, and Jeff Zimmerman tweeted some stuff out about third time through the order with Snell and different things like that. Um, th- those are interesting stats, um, and to me, he's he does have a lot of injury concerns for a young pitcher. There's been a lot of issues with Blake Snell, so. It may, like I know I tweeted it, Alex Fast tweeted it, and some other guys that tweeted it. Three years of a very affordable young arm that was a Cy Young Award winner. I know the Rays like to trade things, but three years of control to get back four prospects without any of the top, top prospects coming makes you wonder, do the Rays know something we don't know? Uh, I, I could be pure speculation, pure just being crazy, trying to justify my thoughts, but it just seems odd to be moving him this early. Usually you see deals like two years left, one year left, stuff like that. Three years to not get a haul that you'd expect for a former Cy Young, like a really recent former Cy Young winner, seemed a bit odd to me. So that could just be me kind of trying to justify things, but not what I was expecting there. So no Blake Snell for me. Corbin Burns, you mentioned Smata loves him. I love, I love Corbin Burns. I just don't think I love him enough to draft him or he's getting drafted at that that's my my problem with corbin burns is the um the the draft price for a guy that's probably not going to give you a ton of innings that you'd need at this point in the draft that that's the issue so like we mentioned with kershaw you need a plan for kershaw you better have one a heck of a plan for um, drafting burns cuz there's a good chance he gets really limited to innings maybe even less than kershaw and uh, that's always something to be concerned about. Um, Sack, now that's the guy that um, has my, my attention. Let's put it that way. Um, when I look at a guy like Sack, you mentioned the pitch mix, pitch mix changes. So while you were talking, I kind of pulled up Savant, looked at the graphs there. I pulled up the leaderboard now, and that's why I was kind of stuttering because I was trying to get this page loaded up because I wanted to see the difference in his pitch mix this year and how much was legit and how much wasn't. Because if you look at Savant, his 4 fastball usage when, it was, when he was using it, he was getting hit a ton. And then his changeup and his slider have been outstanding. Like a, The changeups, um, batting average against was uh, 125, where the slider was 0.069. Like the Woba 0.085, the slider was filthy. And it's really weird. Like I'd love to really take some extra time to look into it now that you mentioned it. Um You look at his game logs and his pitch mix changes. The fastball was usually up there, but sometimes it dropped. The sliders and change-ups, like, there was really no consistency. Like, we talked about how Darvish changed things and certain guys changed it, and then just kind of, this is now the main pitch, so on and so forth. Sack was fluctuating a lot. Like, it was one of those weird deals, like, maybe he's in the bullpen and, hey, this pitch working today, this pitch isn't. I don't know. But in the grand scheme of things, all things, no matter what reasoning behind it was, the forcing fastball hit a ton. Like, if it was in the zone, it was in trouble. Um, he was very good at uh, living on the outsides in the shadow area. That's what was was helping police act a ton. So, And then it opened up the slider and the changeup, something we've seen with other pitchers, a la Bieber and company in Cleveland. So it, it'd be really interesting to get a deeper dive on him. Like his slider deserved ERA, according to the pitch leaderboard, minus 2.14. That's how good it was. That's impossible. That's what I thought, but that's literally – his deserved ERA for his fastball is 6.17. Slider minus 2.14, change up 0.13. So I'm not a rocket scientist, but just looking at that, like just, it's very similar on the rest of the numbers on how good they were. I might use a slider and change it up a little more. Just yeah. throwing it out there. If he does that this year, Dave McDonald's going to win again. It's going to throw it out there. <laughs> just look at how different these pitches are, that makes me actually – I wasn't willing to pay the draft price for Plesak because in my head I'm thinking he's getting rushed up there because of all the talk and all this stuff. But the more I look at these numbers, if he's going to give you, a, say, 160 to 170-plus innings, give or take, which Cleveland likes to pitch their guys. If they're pitching well, they're going to throw them innings. That's just how it's going to go. And he starts using that slider and changeup it more, uh, it's going to be a, a very good year for Zach Blesak. So that's very intriguing. And then Max Freed, I love Max Freed. Similar to Gallon, much better value last season. Freed was very fortunate on the home run. to fly ball ratio regression is coming in that regard. Still going to be a very good pitcher probably not at this point in the draft. There's some guys in the next grouping that I like a lot compared to Max Fried and company. So in this set, I got Burns, please as my top two, probably not drafting the other three. That's where I stand at this point in time, but uh, sorry for the Zach please. It was just very interesting. The more you dug into him, it was the pitch mix change was quite, uh, quite uh, intriguing there. All right. 21 through 25. got Lance Lynn at pick 61, Sonny Gray at 64, Carrasco at 65, Nelson Lamette at 68, and Steven Strasburg at 73. How do you go about this group of five? What a group. <laughs> that's, that's one way to say it. That's for darn sure. I like the yeah. first three. The last three go. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a fascinating group. I mean, Lynn, I like Lynn a lot because I think you know what you're kind of going to get. It's interesting because he started out the season um, – so incredibly well. Right. And we all remember, I mean, I remember, I remember lost me quite a a decent amount of money. I think in the overall in the main that blow up against the Astros um, was just is what seared into everybody's memory. Right. Who had him last year, but he actually ended up being kind of uh, pretty unlucky. Um, So if you look at, you know, 332 ERA, 419 FIP. Probably as a result of the 1.39 home runs per nine, which is way above anything that he's really posted, you know, outside of maybe one, one season, um, which was his first one back from Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, the K minus walk rate was solid, you know, all of the numbers were fairly solid. I think, um, you know, I, you know, there's some regression maybe in the Babbitt that compensates, but with the White Sox, I think he's in a great environment. Obviously, the field isn't the best in the world, but I think that with the way that he pitches, I'm not super concerned about that. Um, so I think you're going to get a lot of strikeouts. I think the ratios are a little suspect, but I think they still should be pretty solid. So I like him, especially if you, you know, if you, if you maybe, maybe if you do have Kershaw, you know, as one of your starting pitchers earlier on, or you're not as confident in maybe the strikeouts. Um, I think that he's a really nice, a really nice little addition obviously more expensive than before, but I actually, I actually drafted him at pick 58 last year, I think in a, in a main event. So um, yeah, uh, Sunny Gray worries me a lot. Um, you know, he was really good at the beginning of the season and then it all kind of fell off. If you look at across the board, fastball velocity dropped um, considerably. The walk rate is just, is it scares me a little bit. So I'm kind of off of Sunny. Um, you know, I may be to my detriment because he's, he's been a, you know, from a strikeout perspective, from a CSW perspective, like the guy is just, um, he's, he's, he looks really good, but I worry about that walk rate, um, a lot, and I worry about that diminishing fastball velocity. So, uh, it's also because Carlos Carrasco's here. I just think that he's probably, I mean, one of the better guys in terms of, you know, just where he's going, I think, and where he can get, can end up. I mean, last year he was very good. Um, he got a lot better as the season progressed, which, you know, again, small sample sizes. So you're not sure whether that's like the competition that he's going up against or what, or whatnot. But what was really, uh, I liked a lot was the improvement in the walk rate over the course of the season, because the walk rate looks a little bit higher than it normally is. But when you break it down by kind of how the season progressed, it got uh, progressively better because he always has a really high O swing chase rate. So chasing on pitches outside the zone and and he needs that in order to be effective. And you start to see that come back towards the end of the season. I think he's really good. Uh, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's really good and I, I hope to have a lot of uh, Carlos Carrasco, although I think his price is also going to push up the closer we get to drafts. And with a lot of these guys, I mean, they, they, my response with Lamette and, and Strasburg is really going to be like, I believe they're very good pitchers, but I can't really, for me, the judgment is not how good of pitchers they are. I think they're both very good pitchers. I think they've they've kind of shown that. Um, you know, Lemet obviously has a smaller um, track record, but ever since he came back from Tommy John, he's been nasty. But I can't tell you to draft him now because I'm not drafting him. I mean, he he fell all the way to, like, pick 110 in one of my drafts, and I didn't pick him because I already had three starting pitchers. And because, you know, like – it's all a question of whether he's going to be healthy or not. So I want to see a spring training. So he's the type of guy where right now at this point in time, I'm off of him. But if I see that he looks healthy in spring training, then, you know, then I wouldn't mind, mind, um, you know, dipping my toe in the water a little bit um, on on him. So um, we'll see Uh, for Lamette, I mean, the question is always like, can he be effective with two pitchers? But I can't remember who I, who I saw posted about how effective his slider is against lefties his slider is actually more effective. It was, it was an, Eno, it was an Eno article, you know, Sarah's article. And he was just talking about how his slider is actually more effective to lefty. So does he really need that third pitch as, as much as other guys do? Cause generally speaking, right. It's like you were talking before about the fluctuation between Zach police pitches. Well, a lot of times what can dictate that is, is who's up, right? Righty, You throw your change up against the lefty and you throw that slider against the righty. So depending on what heavier batting, lineup you're you're going up against, you know, that's going to dictate maybe what your pitch mix is a little bit more. But for a guy like Lamette, maybe he doesn't necessarily need that. And he's also got the velocity on that fastball, which is just incredible. And he looked dominant. I mean, he was absolutely dominant all year long. So I feel okay about that. Same with Strasburg. Whenever he's healthy, he's good. Last year, he wasn't healthy, but it wasn't like it was carpal tunnel. I mean, I don't know how that impacts pitchers as much, but it's not like a soft tissue issue, which I would worry about a lot more like a forearm issue or you know, a shoulder or something like that. And every time he's ever pitched in the big leagues, he's been incredibly effective. So again, I'm not I'm not really worried about those two, two, two in terms of their talent level. It's all an injury game. And at this point in the season, we can't really play that injury game because we really just don't have, we have incomplete information. So for right now in drafts, I'm passing on them, but I, I could easily add them to my player pool um, if, if they're healthy in spring and there's still a discount.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fun group here. Lance Lynn, I'm 100% with you on. I, I love the move to the White Sox for him. He's not going to have to be the ace there, but still can be an inning eater, which is what they're going to need after Gilito and Keuchel and you got the young arms and Kopech and company. It's a, a better place to pitch with Detroit. and improved Kansas City with still Kansas City, Cleveland not being so good. So um, And Minnesota, they might be taking a step back as well. So I love Lance Lynn there. I think he's a great pick as an SP 2 potentially SP 3 depending on how you draft which is, is really, really strong. Uh, Sonny Gray, similar sentiments. Um, I know they're disbanding the the troops in uh, Cincinnati, which really stinks, but if Gray's still there, he still has his uh, his pitching coach and all the stuff that helps him be Sonny Gray. Uh, the development he's, he's gone through the last couple of years, there's not many guys. You're going to see a lot of the bloom boards, like you mentioned, that favor things Sonny Gray's doing. It happened last year. A lot of Sonny Gray there. Um, Alex Fast will tweet out a lot of stuff. Sonny Gray shows up on a lot of boards. Involving things that we need the swinging strike rates, the cato walk rates, the improvements here, there, whatever. Sonny Gray shows up on these lists. And he's he's just ridiculously talented. At this point in the draft, where you're getting him as an SP2 or SP3 is a, a very, very lucky situation here. So I, I like Sonny Gray a lot, and I love Carlos Carrasco, as you mentioned. Once he just started getting healthier last year, started looking like the Carrasco of old. He's getting old, period, which is you know always confusing every time I see his age. I'm like, he's really that old already? Well, yeah, he's in his mid thirties. Like, he's he's getting up there for pitching years, but he's still very, very good, and he's still the uh, the elder statesman of that staff. They're gonna let him pitch. Uh, they were they were letting him pitch once healthy, so don't think that's a concern. They really have no reason to limit his innings. Like, you could see them being okay. Please sack Bieber. Like, I'm not saying they're going to or Savali or one of his other young arms and uh, McKenzie or something. Hey, we're gonna limit you guys a little bit because we need to save you guys, which for trade bait probably because that's what they're doing now but um Carrasco's gonna pitch he's gonna pitch every fifth day he can he's gonna they're gonna give him 100 to 120 pitches every time and at this point in the draft that's awesome awesome to get so I love Carrasco I'm with you 100 he's my favorite in this group and then it goes uh Gray than Lynn for me actually but Gray and Lynn are one A's one B type they're really really close Lamette Strasberg, I'll be real quick here I've said it on many shows Lament I will not touch. The two pitches, I, I don't do that with these guys very often. Um, I agree the slider's very good. I'm not going to disagree with that. But anytime he's been off, it's disastrous. We've seen that because he relies on the fastball. it's very, very hard. And more importantly, the injury concerns with him are just not going to work for me. Like, there's legit conversations. Does he even start the season with the Padres? Like, is, is this a reason they're making all these trades? Not just to, to make them one of the best rotations of baseball, but to give them depth because they already lost Clevenger. Are they losing Lamette for some time as well? Serious concerns. Um, And then Strasburg, like you said, anytime he's pitched in the bigs, it's been amazing. But um, last year he pitched two starts for a total of five innings. Um, And he missed majority of the season due to a nerve injury in his hand. Um, That concerns me. Like Nerve injury, is it going to be healthy? It should be healthy. But nerves are kind of scary because those can just kind of at any time. So I'm, I'm really, really concerned there with Strasburg. I think I'll just pass at that point and go with some guys later on or figure something else out. So I love Carrasco. I love Gray. I love Lynn. I, I like them a lot. So I'll be trying to get one of those guys as an SP2, SP3, passing on the rest. All right, as we dig in to 26 through 30 to wrap up this round of starting pitcher, you got Hungjin Ryu, a pick 78. Framber Valdez up to 82. Jose Barrios at 85, Kyle Hendricks at 86, and Zach Wheeler at 87. Good group here, actually. I like this group quite a bit. What do you like in here?
0: Um, I like Framber Valdez. Mm-hmm. That's kind of who I like in this group. Probably the only one that I'll, I'll, I'll have any shares of. Rios has been really good for the last few really years. I just cannot. I cannot do it. I don't know why. I mean, and obviously Kyle Hendricks has moved up. You know, we used to be able to rely on him and have pick 150 plus. But for Ryu, I just can't do it. I mean, I think as I was diving in, so I faced like this dilemma of whether to get him or, or Framber. you know, and Ryu actually had like a pretty good strikeout, you know, per innings pitched. you know, his strikeout rate was higher than usual. The walk rate also went out considerably. But then when I like dove into it, um, I think I was looking at his... um notes I just moved off the page you know his his CSW was actually really like 27.3 percent like that's that's horrendous it's like 1.3 percent worse than league average um for Ryu so I was kind of like why is that strikeout rate so high that's not good and that's actually the worst that it's been in a number of years for him and so um now, that was a little bit of an issue. The increase in the walk rate was a little bit of an issue. And I guess it's just like buying buying kind of this ratios profile, although it's beautiful ratios profile. It, it's, outstanding. So it's, it's probably just a <laughs> deficiency in me, but, like, I just couldn't do it. I wanted um, to get Framber. Um, so, again, Ryu, uh, he's a really good pitcher. He's been a really good pitcher. He's probably accurately priced, and I'm just going to miss out on him because I'm stubborn. Um, that's not very good analysis, so don't listen to it, you know. Uh, Framber, Framber, I really like a lot because I think he has a combination of slightly better than league average strikeout stuff. He's got the great curveball that he can go to, but he's got three pitches that generate huge ground ball rates. He's above sixty percent uh, ground ball rate. And when you pair a sixty percent plus ground ball rate with a better than league average strikeout rate and probably about a league average walk rate, I just think that there's a really nice floor there for him. Uh, He plays in a really great ballpark when in Houston for a team that should continue to be really good. Um, I think he's going to get the volume. Um, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be really good. Um, And uh, so I like him a lot. I have him a lot. He's probably my most owned pitcher right now. I think I have him in three or four out of six drafts that I've I've had, because I think as an SP three, I just love him as an SP three. Like you get your two aces that have a really nice ceiling Um, and then I think just for where he's going, just a really nice combination of ceiling and floor, and I could just be making this up, but, um, I really like that combination for him. That curveball is devastating and it's the type of pitch that you can throw so often because even when it gets hit, just nothing happens with it. You know, it's just, I I love it for that reason. So I'm a big Framber Valdez fan. Um, Berrios, like I think there's actually some intriguing things about Berrios, the increase in in velocity. He obviously struggled early on, rated the ship a little bit after that. I just think he's mediocre. There's nothing that that tells me that Berrios can develop the repertoire that one needs to be a dominant pitcher. And so he's fine, but I don't want a fine guy here. Like I think you can get those types of guys at different points in the draft. So maybe like he gets a little bit more volume just because he's kind of the ace of that staff, or I mean, before my Ada, but He's going to get you that consistent, you know, volume, but uh, I just I just just don't like Barrios's profile. I just don't think he's he's ever going to develop the repertoire that he needs to be a really elite pitcher in the league. So, I'm kind of shying away from him. Hendricks, love he- Kyle Hendricks, don't love the price. I mean, I just don't want to pay for that profile this high up in the draft. I mean, ratio stabilizers are are great especially with what the Cubs are doing though. Are the wins going to be there like they maybe usually are? Um, Yeah, the ratios are going to be great. But again, I think there's similar guys like Orion Yarbrough, who's going later. I mentioned him again, because I really like Yarbrough a lot, um, who has a fairly similar profile and I think can get you pretty similar results. Zach Wheeler and Barrios are actually a pretty good comp to each other, I think. I mean, I just think that they're both fine, but I don't think they're ever going to be really, really good. I just don't think they have the strikeout upside um, that I necessarily want. But if I have a pretty stable, if I have those those two really good guys at the top, maybe, you know, those two two aces and that's all you're looking for is the stable profile. I mean, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong now that I think about it. Like maybe those are the types of guys that I want to be filling in, you know, um, where maybe the ceiling isn't there, but the floor also seems pretty decent. I think they're, they're pretty comparable guys. Maybe I like Wheeler a little bit more the ERA, you know, he's been able to keep that ERA a little bit um, lower, I think. But um, again, I'm not looking at their player profiles. So that's just a that's just a feeling that I have. Um, so yeah, so that's generally like I don't love this group of guys. I think I like Framber a lot, and I think I think the, this is a really tricky area of the draft. Um, these rounds, kind of mid middle of round five to maybe like the early 100s in drafts is a, it's a, it's a murky place. It's a, it's like a, it's just, I don't love being there. There's a few guys that I love and if they're not available, I get really uncomfortable with, you know, the different uh, players that I find myself thinking about picking in that particular range.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To each own Cause I kind of like this range. Um, no, Baba, we should draft together. Let's do it. We will be soon in the, uh, the podcast yeah. league. Um, yeah. Hungjin Ryu is a guy I'm torn on every year. He produces every year, so I start kind of dabbling and grabbing pieces here and there, but he's not a main target. It kind of depends where he falls in the draft and how my team build is going, because the ratios are just consistently legit. He feels like the um, you know, outside of last year's debacle, like a hobby bias type, like you can't prove how he's doing it. Like the swinging rate's crazy, the chase rate's crazy. He just keeps doing it. Well, You look at Ryu, like you said, the strikeouts are kind of weird. The, the swinging strike, all that kind of stuff. The CSW stands out. Like, how's he doing this? But he's doing it time and time again, and so it's very interesting there. Not a, not a go to a have to pick guy, but I I'm like dabble at spots with him. It makes it kind of interesting. Now the guys I do love, I am in love with Framber Valdez. You 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 you're you're right there. Um, I know a lot of guys are starting to get on the Framber train. The more they dig into him this offseason. season. I was team Framber For email listening to my DFS shows last year, we pretty much pitched Framber Valdez every time out, and it was glorious because always underpriced, always underowned. It was just a beautiful scenario. I don't think it's going to be the same way this year. I have a hunch because people are finding out who he is and how good he is, but I love Framber Valdez. I think that's a, a great one to jump on at this point in time. I agree with everything you had to say, so I won't go any farther there. But Jose Barrios is a guy I'm pretty sure if you listen to any preview I've done with Barrios in the past – It's going to sound very similar to this with a twist is he's as consistent as they come. And this is kind of why you said it towards the end there that maybe you want to look at these guys. This is why I'm starting to appreciate these guys. If you get those kind of aces early and we keep going through the pitcher player pool like after these guys, and it gets murkier and murkier with the kind of hit here and there. A guy like Berrios to me stands out as a guy. He's going to take the ball every fifth day. He's going to pitch you five, usually six plus innings every time out. His strikeout rate's 23% to 26% year in and year out. If you just look at his player praise, the home run per nine, the, the whips, the babips, the every stat there, they're all within a certain percentage point of each other. Like they just It's almost the same thing over and over again. Kind of what we used to love about Kyle Hendricks when he was cheaper. He's not now. Barrios is that guy. Now, he's, I think the bugaboo is when he came up, everybody said, okay, he's going to be this ace phenom. Well, like you said, he's not going to be that guy. He's not going to find that pitch. We just move on from that. What he can be is a very, very good SP3 in your your fantasy staff. And I think that's where Berrios, that stability, kind of what I mentioned with some other guys like Woodruff and company, just plug him in every week. And he's pitching in the central. So that's a big plus as well. So I'm buying in more and more on Berrios. I literally just took him in a best ball draft about three hours ago as my uh, SP3. So uh, I I got no problem with Berrios this year. Um, Hendricks is great, but I'd rather have Berrios. I'd rather have Zach Wheeler. Um, The thing with Wheeler, the the reason I have Buehler – Berrios over Wheeler is um, the divisions. That, that's just the tiebreaker for me. NL East versus uh, AL Central is a big one. But I've always been a, a Wheeler fan. He has better ratios than um, Berrios, but Berrios has the better strikeout rates. Um, everything else, rather similar for the most part. Uh, somehow Wheeler keeps the ball in the ballpark more, which is kind of surprising. But uh, very, very, like you, it was a great comparison you made. They're very, very similar with what they'll get you by the end of the fantasy season. I like Burials for the higher strikeouts and the division more than Wheeler. Both phenomenal for me. I actually, now that you mention it, or now that I think about it, that draft I'm talking about, I literally took Burials from Wheeler back-to-back. So I have them as my three mm. and my four. And it, in, in a best ball points league, it's even better because they're going to take the ball every fifth day, and they're not going to crush you. And that's something that I think is very important. And like a best ball format may be different than an overall, where you might need that higher ceiling that they're not going to offer, where a framer can offer that. And uh, Fremor is off the board as well, by the way. But um, Barrios and Wheeler, steady Eddies. I'm a huge fan of them. And I, I think that's that they might get overlooked by some. But I think as we go on next week and talk about the next 30 or so guys, it's going to be harder and harder to find the steady consistency that those two guys offer you. That if you get your ace or two, you take one of these two guys, now you you have three just like guys you trust without a problem pretty much. Take more chances now in this kind of murkier session we're going to go get to and that's where i I like the Barrios and the wheeler a lot more all right listener questions we have lots and lots of them which is awesome as always so let's get cracking on a bit
0: burn the midnight oil here
1: yeah well you guys are too good with us here um ross at the shy bears says he has a 30 team dynasty auction starting on friday who are you and it's a startup brand new dynasty auction who are you targeting as the SP1 you pay up for in that format? So we know Cole, DeGrom, Bieber in a non-dynasty. Do you go after Bieber because of age? Do you stick with Cole? Do you have another guy? Who, who are you going after? Probably go Cole, Bieber. Yeah. yeah. DeGrom definitely takes the hit. Like the kind of stuff we thought definitely takes the hit in the dynasty part.
0: I mean, because Cole is, he's what,
1: like 31 or 30 or he's something
0: early, like that? He's early 30s, yeah. We should look this up. He is 30. Yeah, he just turned 30. So he's still young. I mean, you think like, oh, well, but I mean, he's got till and we see guys pitching 34, 35, 36. So you have still got four to six years. You know, what I might do is have him this year and, and um, you know, ride that 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 uh, cool train, um, you know, this year see how it ends up and then maybe try to make a move after that. Cause I think he's gonna be really good this year, but Bieber also, I mean, I think it's great. You don't really have as many concerns about injury. He's younger, um, really good. You know, Cleveland's not as good of a team I think for the next
1: few years, but um, I, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those. Or just split the money on the, or split the money on those two and go get Framber and Plesek
0: yeah yeah i mean or giolito yeah
1: he'd be be right up there with those first two for sure yeah i'm with you there uh mark gannon at mt gannon one asks i would love to hear a little bit about your process of going from steamer or baseball hq etc projections to how you rank starting pitchers lots of data out there and curious about metrics you focus on and how you parse through it all you mentioned some of it earlier do you want to go over that again Sure, yeah. Um,
0: and shout out to Mark. Mark's a great guy. i met him at First Pitch Arizona. Um, so thank you, Mark, for the question. Generally um, me, I, actually, I don't really pay attention to uh, projections for pitchers. Um, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with them. I'm aware of them. But I don't find that they're super useful. And I could be absolutely wrong on that. But there's just such variance year to year for most pitching performance that I just don't really – care that much about them. I have a very skill-centered approach to analyzing pitchers. So what I want to know is swinging strike rates in zone. So my strikeout metrics that I look at swinging strike rate, um, in-zone contact rate, uh, CSW, um, they all capture kind of unique things like in-zone contact is great because it tells you whether a guy can dominate in the zone. Swinging strike rate is also about domination, right? Swings and misses over pitches. And then CSW, there's some guys that maybe don't have the swinging strike rate, but they get a lot more called strikes um, than the average pitcher, like an Aaron Nola. And you need to be able to understand that and see that and, and be able to look at it. Then I look at the control metrics, you know, so things like, you know, O swing is really important. So chasing on pitches outside the zone, not only for walks, but also inducing weak contact, uh, you know, I look at first pitch strike and zone percentage. I kind of look at first pitch strike zone percentage and O swing as a combination just to see kind of where they are compared to league average looking for those guys that that are demonstrating elite skills there. I also look at percent of pitches that are balls and then K minus walk rate is the one that you can kind of go to. And the thing that you'll find, I mean, go to a leaderboard and, and just click on those and look at the pitch that show up. Right. Those are the pitchers that we know are really, really good. And, so part of it is just historically, where have these pitchers been? What have they done? You know, what have the results been? And then looking at the skills and, and you know, uh, do they look like they're trending up? Do they look like they're trending down? You know, what, what's really going on there? It's really focused on skills. I don't think about, I know I've mentioned it a couple of times. I don't think about ERA. I don't really even think about whip. I think about if a guy is striking out a lot of guys and he's not walking a lot of guys, and that's really good, right? And there's only a certain number of pitchers that can do that effectively in the league. And so then you get into the middle and you're starting to look for those guys that maybe have a little bit of a higher ceiling. Maybe those guys who had a swing and strike rate that was higher or who underperformed or overperformed, you know, where they are and making adjustments to that accordingly. And I never really, I don't really rank pitchers either. It's not like I have like a, a list of pitchers. Like this is the definitive order that I'm taking, I generally have guys that I've identified that are kind of on my list of pitchers that I really like. And I'm aware of when they go in drafts and then based on where they're going in drafts, I know where there's kind of pockets of pitchers that I want to look to. And maybe I want to get, you know, two of the aces, right. And then maybe I want to get one SP three that's on the higher end of the SP three spectrum. And then maybe I have my SP fours and my SP fives is where I am maybe looking for a little bit more ceiling and maybe, you know, I'm, 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 yeah, so I think it's all about you know individual pitchers looking at those strikeout and control metrics. I look a little bit at things that are predictive year to year, like barrel rates for quality of contact or outliers in home run home run per fly ball rate, things like that, just to see you know from a contact quality perspective. But I don't really look at hard hit rates or you know exit velocities against much at all, unless there's kind of a, at the extremes. Um, so that's a little bit of a how I how I how I how I do it. I really don't look at projections that much. It's more like historical data of how they've done and then skills and where they compare to league average and, and things like that. And what pitch don't, mix. Don't forget don't, pitch mix. You okay, always got to look at pitch mix.
1: What don't you look at? I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> I don't look
1: at ERA. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, yeah, you, you've hit on pretty much all of it. Um, I just kind of keep digging in on guys that make changes each year and what changes are legit, which ones aren't um we talk about a lot of the stuff on here i read a bunch of stuff csw is tremendous uh to walk is obviously one that's very very popular but to me like it's the pitch mix change um is very important to me because that's as we see more and more how these guys are utilizing with their pitches is way more important than how good you know how hard a guy throws stuff like that so um th- those kind of things are big to me and i think the more you just get kind of Go down rabbit holes like I was doing earlier. I had Zach, please, like just on this show. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Like these things are impressive watching this change from here to here. So um, making those kind of adjustments are very good. And like you said, just look at leaderboards. Like those will tell you a ton right out the gate. And then you can kind of go back and see if it's been a year to year thing or a new thing or, or what it's been from there. Um, Guillermo Salvaje. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, okay. These are quick, quick ones here. Christian Javier or Lance McCullers, are they able to repeat?
0: Uh I don't think ha- I don't think Christian Javier will I don't think he'll be that good. I think it was unsustainable. Um and then um McCullers I don't know did he do something good last year?
1: He was pretty decent, especially towards the end of the year. Was yeah. He was pretty good.
0: Yeah. I never am rem- really in on McCullers all that much. I think we talked about him in a previous show about there's reason to possibly be in on him, but I just I'm not. But I would go McCullers over Javier for
1: sure. Yeah, I'm a big McCullers fan, so I'll, I'll jump back in on that one. Uh, Frankie Montas comeback? Um, maybe his price um, is right. His price is right and worth the chance. I'll say that. Much. His, his price is right. Yeah, and
0: the, and the splitter's still really effective pitch. I think from just a skills perspective. So uh,
1: why not? Value on David Price or Luis Severino? Uh,
0: for those of you who haven't been listening to the show that often, I am. Way down on Luis Severino, I have been for a while. Um, so I'm not really holding out a bunch of hope for him. Uh, and then David Price, I mean, is he going to play this year? Yep. That's a major yep. question, but I think if he plays, then and I think he seems like solid value where he's going right now.
1: Completely agree. Giglio going to be top five? I say yes. You? I say yes, right on the dot. Yep. He's
0: going to be in the number
1: five. Corbin Burns squeak into the top 30. He's getting drafted in the top 30. Do you think he finishes in the top 30? Um, I'd say yes.
0: I'll say
1: yes, too. I'm an optimist at heart. There you go. At, uh, Dave Petrosiello, our buddy, he asks, uh, our boy Musgrove currently has an ADP of 144. He'll be on next week's show. Don't know what it will be for the big drafts in March, but that ADP makes it harder for me to target him. We're tantalized by his upside, but he repeatedly gets hurt in our losses. I'll try to get at least one share. Basically, are you in or out on Musgrove? And there's rumors he might be traded.
0: Joey. I'm not going to do Bob Dylan's Joey song and sing it here for all of you. Um, I, I have zero. I have not I have not drafted Joe Musgrove. I just can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Uh, I can't do that price.
1: He was fun when he was a value. That was for sure. But uh, not so much anymore. Uh, Gecko Industries. He's uh, gracing us with his presence, Mr. Gecko Industries. Will Chris Paddock end up a top 20 sp in 2021 why or why not i say no And i went down a rabbit hole on him today and i tweeted some things out on it and he still only has two pitches because it's curveball it's all or nothing and when it's nothing it's really really bad really really bad so i'm saying no what about you
0: yeah i don't think so at all either um you know i wasn't a huge fan of paddock um last year although i did draft him in one of my main events um shout out to my co-manager andrew matney on that one that. um just getting we, we have a spectacular record together, Andrew. Um, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, just don't think so. I mean, you know, so we all thought he was super good and we all said that the command was there and that was the reason why he was so effective in his rookie year, but 237 Babbitt, you know, he was already having contact issues with the one four seven home runs for nine. You know, there was some change in his, in his spin rate on his fastball, which made it less effective um but again like even if he i mean if he repeats 2019 then maybe he's a t- top 20 pitcher he's probably a top 20 pitcher but there's nothing spectacular there right like the strikeouts weren't all that great he does keep the walk rate low which is really really nice and maybe he does something you know um but i just don't think he has the repertoire baba you mentioned the lack of a third pitch that still continues to be an issue for him and so I just don't think you can be as effective for that long. I mean, let me actually look at something really quickly, um, like his splits. So, first half, second half. Um, where on earth? So, and I know um, Gecko doesn't do. Um, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't uh, look at ERA either when he's doing his stuff. Um, he wrote back to one of my tweets about that. Like even when you look at Paddock last year, I mean, first half of last year, two eight four ERA, second half four oh one ERA, right? Um, uh, so it's just you know, I just don't, I don't think he was ever as good as we thought he was, and um, and maybe he'll change, but I, I think he, I think the thing is, I can't really expect him to change who he is as a pitcher. And draft him accordingly, or have that as part of my expectation. Like, and you would have to fundamentally change as a pitcher, I think, to be a top twenty guy.
1: The the one thing I'll say about Paddock, and I don't believe it'll be this year, but the addition of you Darvish and the pitches he can throw could help him a boatload in developing a third pitch. That's something that I think could be interesting because we talk about how like Bauer throws guys stuff and other guys do. Darvish with eight pitches, and then you even throw in Snell, who who's who, a, a talented pitcher. You start getting these kind of minds, Clevenger's guy, like you get these minds around Paddock, that might help him a lot. And so I'm, I, I'm the guy that's going to wait and see. I'm not going to take the chance on him because I really don't think he's that good yet. But I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this year or going into uh, next season, we see a potential for uh, Chris Paddock to get that third pitch going pretty strong. Um, the next listener question we have here is from Trevor at FFCU Later. He says, which U Darvish do we get in San Diego and on what planet does Bauer repeat 2020? Um,
0: not this planet uh, does does he uh, repeat. So that's the answer to that first one. I mean, the thing about Darvish is he's always been pretty good whenever he's been healthy. Um, it's just a matter of health. Like he's pitched in three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons in Major League Baseball. He has had an ERA over four once you know, four, nine, five and an injury shortened in 2018. You know, he's had a whip, you know, he had a one, four, three whip that season outside of that one, two, six and a one, two, eight, you know, six years ago is the highest that he's had, you know, and, and I think the thing for me is that is the pitch mix is different, right? He's throwing that cutter. he has got a beautiful pitch mix. I mean, if you look at his repertoire, he's got all the skills, like he has everything that you want. And then if you look at like, whatever rolling average graph you want, like 10, 15 games, the K-minus walk rate is 25%. You know, It's just elite stuff. So I think he's going to be uh, really, really good. I think he's going to be phenomenal. I don't think there's a reason why um, he wouldn't be. Um, And so I think he's tremendous. I think he's great.
1: Yeah, we hit on this earlier. We're all in on Darvish. I have no reason not to believe he is who he's been the last, even if you go back to – like the all star break the year before, it's a uh, it's 152 innings, 25 starts. The number is still like a 257 ERA and an exit, an like low threes. Like the dude's been outstanding. So, and his, his walk rate over that stretch is like 3.4 or something. Like it's it's stupid. So, he's very, very good. And Bauer, we talked about that as well. Uh, Mike Curlin, our boy Sleepy K, he says, Are you in or out on Denelson and Lament, or as he calls them, Denelson Lament? I'm out, I believe you're out as well. Yeah, until – yeah, I'm probably out. This was a tough question um, for me because I I need to dig in on this more. But uh, at J-Dub, the gamer, our buddy J-Dub, he asked, does Zach Davies' new home – he got traded to Chicago in that deal – give him a boost or reduce his value? For me, it's kind of similar. If anything, maybe pitching in the NL Central gives him a bit of a boost. Um, I I like Zach Davies. That change – to using the changeup more was huge. But, you know – he's not a guy that jumps off the page and I'm running to go draft type guy either. So I'd say it's probably even maybe a slight boost, but I I'd want to look some more. What say you?
0: Yeah. I, I think it's pretty similar, but I agree with you. I mean, I think Zach Davies is very underrated. Uh, he made that move to throwing the change up a lot more last year and he was incredibly effective and there was a little bit of luck involved, but, I mean, snap, like a guy who's gonna get you like a three, five ERA. I mean, he has one season above a, a four ERA, you know, in his whole career, the whip is decent. You know, I think that Davies is, um, he's a nice little late rounder. He kind of qualifies in that Yarborough range of just guys who I think are, are basically solid, nice ratio guys, not gonna help you out a ton in strikeouts, but um, it's a really nice profile to have on, on your rotation. So yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty similar. Fewer wins, probably. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with that rotation. I mean, they now have Hendricks, uh, Mills, and Davies. So they got three guys who throw in That's a high innings. And I and I just wonder what type of an impact that will have. You know, if hitter if they get if hitters get them in a row, I assume the the Cubs will try to break it up a little bit. You know, um, but um, just something to think about.
1: Yeah, the rotation's looking pretty odd. Uh, Steve Brunn asks, who is the 2021 version of Lance Lynn, the SP going in the SP 3-4 to four range, which Lynn is still going in, by the way, that uh, makes the jump that Glenn did last year? So who's a guy that I guess we talked about towards the end of this or who we will talk about next week that you think makes that jump like Lance Lynn did? Um, maybe Framber Valdez. I mean,
0: he seems like a guy um... – Uh, I mean, there's a few, I mean, I think we'll talk about them more next week. I really like Dylan Bundy. Um, I think he actually did really well last year and maybe should have done a little bit better, um, just based on the way that he pitched. And so I still think there's upside there to nasty pitches. I think Pablo Lopez, there's a lot to like about kind of his profile and what it looks like. Um, so those are kind of two guys that stand out for me. Um, you know, we all like Joe Musgrove. Um, so maybe he could take that leap. Those or Gaussman too. Um, so I think there's a few options. I think the pitching options are really interesting there, but like, like Steve mentioned, like he doesn't really have the, um, the, these guys don't really have the, the history of doing this really well. So it's still a crapshoot.
1: Yeah. I like, I like the Framber call. And then three guys I wrote down that we talk about next week. I wrote down Dylan Bundy, Pablo Lopez, and then I'm buying more into Jesus Lazardo. The more, I listened to Oakland talk about him. If they really do let him go like 160 innings, even in those innings, as good as he is, could take that Lance Lynn type jump. So mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. Um, Steven Buckets asks, I know you're the pocket aces guy, but where do you draw the line as the last guy which we, with which you'd be willing to anchor a staff? And like you mentioned earlier, before you give the name, there's already a bunch of guys going in the first two rounds and come March it's going to get really like, it'll be a bunch of guys going in the first round and a half. So it's going to make things pretty interesting. Where do you draw the line at your pocket aces? Oh, line. What
0: line is there? What line happens? I mean, so the way that I see myself drafting at this point in time is it, I is Castillo is kind of the line for me, maybe um, in terms of, Wow. I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm going to draft a pitcher in the first round, most likely. Um, You know, occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll stray from that a little bit, but generally I'm going to get one of those guys. So I don't really have to think too much about like what that line is, but the way the draft is setting up right now, I kind of like just getting that single ACE. If it's in that one of those three guys and then taking a couple hitters and then dabbling in that Lynn, Carrasco Frambert range and picking up two of those guys maybe as opposed to getting the pocket aces if I'm in the back half of the draft then I'm probably going to go pocket aces so long as I get you know like my second ace is like a right now the the line is kind of Castillo but you know I just need to I need to do a little bit more work on some of these other guys and again spring training like I know we're not supposed to put a lot of stock in spring training but just seeing Velo from guys just seeing them there and healthy you know, in a lot of respects is enough. And so, you know, I think that line will shift as the season progresses um, or as the offseason progresses. But right now, that's kind of like my line is Castillo. So if I'm going to get two aces, I want them to be um,
1: Luis Castillo or better. Yeah, and uh, spring training as well as just kind of coach speak and player speak is going to be much more important to me this year as to uh, what these guys have been up to, things we didn't get a whole lot of last year. so. That'll be quite interesting as well. And then I'm with you as I'm not as like focused on making sure I get two in the first two to three rounds, I guess, but I'm making a point that I have like three after the first five rounds. I don't care how it happens because I know I can get three that I really like in that grouping. So that's something I've been really trying to focus on right now. Um, John Greasy asks, expectations for Jamison Tyon this year? Uh, Tyon came back from injury last year. He uh, made, I believe it was three st- or seven starts, pitched 37 in the third innings, so he's just kind of getting some work in, and he's going around pick two twenty eight right now. Uh, I have not done a whole lot of digging in the tie on for the season. What's your thoughts on tie on?
0: He did. He actually didn't pitch last season. This was oh, twenty nineteen. Sorry, he was at yeah, no, yeah.
1: TJ, right? Yeah, yeah. I totally surprised that. Totally Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. He had TJ, so he's coming back from TJ, which would make me not want anything to do with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have any of him. I'm very interested to see what he. I'm very interested to see what he does Um, because, you know, he's been solid, not spectacular in the past. The strikeouts just aren't there. So his whip is decent. The ERA is decent, but the strikeouts just haven't been there. But if you follow him on Twitter at all, he's definitely like cerebral in thinking about like pitch mix and analytics and things like that. I've seen him comment on some posts or share different things about approach. And so I'm just really interested to see kind of what, what he looks like, like especially with the way the pirates have been changing up their pitchers, pitch mixes like you'll notice back in 2019, even, you know, he, the pitch that he threw the most was his slider, which was definitely a departure from previous seasons when he was prioritizing the fastball. And so it's changes like that, where I would be really interested to see what happens. I mean, the challenge is he's never really had one of those dominant pitches, um you know and guys he, he hasn't been able to dominate in the zone he's one of these guys that like he even though his strikeout metrics look decent he doesn't actually get there because he can't finish guys off because when he throws the ball in the zone they make contact with it so i'm really interested to see with his pitch mix with his approach what has changed um you know so i'm not buying it now but i could see where he could be a very useful a very useful spot Player. I mean, I really like the Pirates rotation in general. I mean, it yeah. sounds crazy, but I'm really into a lot of the guys that they have there. Like Musgrove, Tyone, really like. I like Stephen Steve Brawl. I like JT
1: Brubaker. I think they're, there's a lot of good going on there. Sounds like 2020 all over again. We love the Pirates rotation. It's just, are they going to do it for us? Uh, I guess it's okay if they like them. Steve Weimer asks, which ratio stabilizer do you prefer, Ryu or Hendrix? Are you in on either or both? Pretty sure you said you weren't in on either. Which one do you prefer out of the two? Yeah,
0: I mean, I'd definitely be more into uh, Ryu like this this, this now. You know, I think with Hendricks, the Cubs just being in the middle of nowhere in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I think I'd prefer to be um, on uh, with uh, Rio, Ryu. But... Um, but I, I don't want either one of them where they're going right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Richard Sands asked, he, I just saw on Twitter, I, I, I know what post he's talking about because of the steamer values, um, that Nate Eovaldi should be ranked higher. How do you yes. like him and, and James Paxton this year? Uh, he took them as picks, uh, SB6 and SP 7s in a recent best ball draft with uh, myself, one of the ones I put on. So Eovaldi, Paxton, I'm always an Eovaldi fan just for the strikeout upside late in a draft. I'm not reaching to get him. But I see the appeal. It's just one of those guys, not like guys we talked about. You can't just plug him in and let him go. you got to pick your spots. But um, he he shows flashes of good stuff. I'll put it that way. But he, he can be very tilty in his times. Uh, Paxton, uh, he's starting to throw. The velocity is still not where he want wanted to be to trust him just yet. So keep an eye on that. But to what's your thoughts on those two?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I generally haven't been a fan of Diego Galdi just because he hasn't been able to strike guys out them effectively in the past but he definitely looked a lot better this past year. I mean, I'm actually really diving in for the first time with your question. Um, and I like some of the changes that I see in what he was able to do. I wonder if there's any type of below bump at all.
1: He started throwing very hard, more consistently. He did it towards the end of 19 and I believe he carried it over into 20, at least part yeah, of it. So he was at 97, a So yeah, it's a very interesting profile for
0: sure. A. I may have been selling him short. The cutter really looks to have taken a pretty big, um, you know, step up, you know, it was 3.4% screen strike rate rate in 2019. Uh, smaller sample size, but, um, you know, 13.7% this year. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff going on there for valdi for sure, um, which could definitely be of interest um, uh, later on in drafts where he's going. So I would say, yeah, he's definitely worth one. Steamer loves him, I know no steamer has him as like the pitcher that will, you know, from a value perspective in terms of like where he's going in, in ADP and what the expected earnings for him is. Um, they have him as like huge, just like a massive um, outlier. So that one's really interesting. Paxton. I mean, it's just a, it's an injury question and I don't know. I mean, he's worth a shot where he's going right now, I guess, because he's going so much later on. I mean, this is one of the things too is like, the best ball, I mean, sure, those guys are great, I think, because, yeah. you know, um, there's not really as much downside. I find myself having a difficult t- time taking guys like that in, like, drafting holds because I'm just so concerned about injuries, you know? It's like, with drafting holds where you can't replace your guys, I think I find it really difficult to take a stab on upside. Whereas in a regular draft, when I knew that I would have the waiver wire, when I knew I could fab guys when i knew that the roster i was getting that i was drafting wasn't the roster i was going to finish with i'd feel a lot better with going with one of those guys and looking and trying to get their ceiling um so yeah i think those are, are really good shots especially for the format and Bubba, you know a lot more more about best balls than i do
1: so yeah no i, I like them both uh Pax and i i would i'm not taking until i know he's healthy so i'll pass on him because best ball you still you still want guys that are um, giving you a chance to use a good start here and there if he's not starting it's kind of a dead roster spot but we'll see could turn out to be awesome. Ivaldi, uh, I've always, I took him with like my last pick in almost every draft last year because of the strikeout rates, like we saw in spring, um, the velocity continued to spike up from the end of the nineteen, and the strikeouts were there this last year. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. That's been a continual thing in his career. He did that last year, below four percent walk rate. Uh The ratios, you don't expect great ratios, but like he was high threes last year, you can expect maybe low fours. Not going to crush you at that point in the draft. You're not looking for an ERA stabilizer at that point in the draft. So I like Ivaldi, I do. There's a couple times those get lit up like a Christmas tree. And he does that like probably four or five times a year. Gonna tilt your your face off. But he has a lot of good starts where he's like just steady Eddie, some really good starts. I, I don't mind Ivaldi uh in that regard. All right, last question of the night, most important question of the night. And then of course uh-huh. comes from our buddy Tomac Macdo. And this is not directed straight up at Toby. Toby, was it too much peppermint bark?
0: absolutely not there's no such thing i know that
1: answer <laughs> there's no such
0: thing as too much peppermint bark peanut brittle though maybe i'm maybe. on the fence with that one oh god it's so good when, when
1: does the sweets end for the holidays for you because it seems like every day or every other Please. day i see a new, a new post and i'm not i'm not judging you in that regards because my house is always full of sweets but my wife loves chocolate so there's sweets in this house at all times but you're like on like the yeah like holiday sweets like when does this end yeah, New Year's,
0: New Year's. I'm okay. gonna do no desserts in all
1: of January. i um, I got cold turkey with how hard you've been going. That's gonna be some sh- some shakes on the next podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of have been thinking about doing that just because I like to splurge during the holidays. It's fun. Yeah, There's so much good food around. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not good at moderation. So, like, I'm either like all in or I'm you know.
1: You're, you're, oh, you're, you're lucky, though, because you still look the way you look. When I, I'm no good with moderation, and I look like a beached whale sometimes. So it gets very, very difficult there with the Cubs to moderation. <laughs> so you you got to oh, Don't give. be too hard on yourself, though. though. you got to gift us. You're a handsome man. Well, I appreciate it from the neck up. Um, <laughs> but uh, that'll wrap us up. SP1 in the books. We'll be back next week with the next 30 or so uh, in the NFPC ADP any closing thoughts, Toby, as we are slowly getting through our early positional previews.
0: Uh, not, not really. I mean, I really, I'm going to look, I really look forward to our next, um, you know, I love diving into kind of the later on the picture, pitchers, pitchers going later. Some of the guys going well beyond later um, because I think that's where, you know, with a lot of these guys, like it's like the burns is the world. It's like getting burns last year was great. Mm-hmm. You know, getting British. burns this year you can afford even if burns ends up being really good to miss on him and because of where he's going it's not it's not it doesn't really matter that much right that's not going to win or lose the league because he essentially you know what he did last year was just incredible so there's going to be some regression hopefully or not hopefully but like most likely and and so so the thing is like he's now he does that and yeah, he's he's not maybe like a $20 pitcher. He's like a 25 or a $30 pitcher. That's very different than pick 300 plus and what he did last year, right? And so I think that's the key thing as you think about all this stuff is like, it's really not these pitchers that are going to win you or lose you a league necessarily. I mean, yeah, hitting on them is really important and all that jazz, but the guys that like, are really good like that really make that jump are the guys we're gonna be that we're gonna be talking about next week so i'm excited to to kind of dive into that and look at some guys who might be able to make that jump this year
1: yeah it'll be fun because with the weird weirdness of pitching we kind of hit on already where the aces kind of dropped faster and it kind of gets different murky sections i know justin and sport call them the globs or whatever the early drafts we've been doing i know you've done some i've done some you can really make or break things with some of these pictures. Like I know it sounds simple. It's cliche because it's obvious. But there's some groupings here that it's like, Ew, okay, well, someone's going to come out of here. Who's it going to be? And that, that'll that be fun to talk about next week because that does become quite interesting as we go on. But that'll wrap it up for this week. Check out Toby on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I am on Twitter, at BD Intric. This is Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 64. Catch you guys next week.
0: That is going to wrap us up for ex- episode 160 of the Batfoot Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much um, for listening. Uh, next week, Bub and I will be taking a stab at uh, pitchers ADP 31 through 60. So right now that would be, well, a couple guys that we already covered. Oh, this is starting pitchers. So I'm going to have to uh, – it's too difficult. It's too difficult to uh, to put them together. But it looks like Ian Anderson – Through maybe like Drew Smiley, Jordan Montgomery, Tony Gonsolin, something like that. We'll also cover some of the later round guys. um, You know, some of the guys that we like later on. So definitely listen to that. But always, uh, really appreciate all of you listening. Uh, Take care and be kind to one another.